Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 311, and today we are talking about books being released on May 18th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Tears of hello! Hello! How are you today? I'm pretty good! It's very sunny out. I saw a chipmunk... I met a snake, which very few people get excited about, <laughs> but I was excited. I haven't seen a garter snake in I don't know how long, probably since I was in high school, because then I moved to like a city, not a big city, but there were not a lot of garter snakes in the city. And so when we moved back here no. to Maine, I was like, where are the garter snakes? And it took like seven years for it to happen. And the garter snake was like, I will tolerate you being near me, but I kept trying to pick it up and it was like, no. No. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. I often see them while we're out walking. They like slither across the trail and they always spook me. But then I'm like, oh, it's just a garter snake. We're fine. Yeah. Yeah. That is one of the things I like about living in Maine. Not any scary snakes. Yes. That there, I, I, there might be scary snakes in Michigan, but I've never once encountered them in, you know, like nearly 30 years. So at this point, I feel like I'm probably good. Probably. Yeah, it's probably good. And now we're going to stop talking about them because so many people don't like them. I took a, but like I, I want to say I took a photo of it because I was like, yay, no one wants to see it. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> but there are also lots of cu- other cute things, birds and, you know, we have cats and we yes. always talk about cats. What else is going on? Lots of books. Oh, yeah. I did, lots of books. Like, uh, I opened my Instagram story up to questions. I was like, ask me about books. I was feeling like extra bookish the other day. And so many people ask questions. I got to recommend so many books that I don't always get to talk about and upcoming books. And I was having such a good time. I spent like the whole day doing that. And then I was like, well, I was supposed to read some books for work today. <laughs> guess, guess we're not going to bed tonight. But it was so much fun. I do that every once in a while. Yeah, I was. it was fun because I was looking at your stories and like at the top where the dashes are to like represent all the individual stories. It was just like tiny little dots because you had so many <laughs> great responses yep. and, and questions and recommendations. It's always fun to page through those because you get to like see the the wide spectrum of like Liberty's reading life and all of those. And it's exciting. It's fun. It's really fun. And I always have a different answer, I feel like. Because a lot of the questions yeah. are like, what's your favorite book? What's your favorite horror book? What's your favorite sci-fi book? And I feel like, I don't know, at different times, there are different answers. So For real, yeah. It's fun. I like doing that. But yes, I did answer 91 of them. So wow. <laughs> I was like, I have to stop this and do some work now. But Yeah. I love talking about books. I cannot, like, when I meet new people, when my husband's friends come over, I'm like, hey, what are you reading? And he's like, here we go. And they end up living <laughs> with, like, an armful of books. Which is not something that has happened in the last year and a half, so my house is full of books waiting to leave. But 
you know, I just, I never get tired of talking about books. <laughs> same, same, same. Yeah, I also feel you on the whole, like, I have all these books and I don't know where to take them because it's been a pandemic. And I think, like, I'm going to have to start, like, finding little free libraries and just stuffing them in there. Yeah, that might be a fun road trip. Little free library road trip. Yeah. Someone will come out of their house and be like, holy smokes, <laughs> they multiplied overnight. And I'll be like, trust me, these are the good books. They aren't, like, the tattered John Grishams. These are, like, nice books that I'm putting in here. You could adopt, like, a whole, like, secret superhero persona. Right. Which is, which is just an excuse to get a cape. Yes, I love it. It'll be, like, the book hero. Just dropping books everywhere. The book sneaker? The... Uh, I guess I would have to, like, workshop some names first. Yes. <laughs> well, we'll come back with that. <laughs> yeah. So... We are going to talk about more books today because they keep coming. But before we do that, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so I am very excited about all of my books today. And contrary to like the last, I think, few shows, two of them are very delightful and upbeat as opposed to, <laughs> you know, depressing and sad, which are also my favorite kind of books too. So I'm going to kick it off with a delightful YA novel called Tokyo Ever After by Amiko Jean. It was pitched to me as Crazy Rich Asians meets The Princess Diaries. I love Crazy Rich Asians by Kevin Kwan. I have to say, 
I never read The Princess Diaries. I did not watch the movies. I know they're movies with Anne Hathaway and Julie Andrews. Um, and oh, I know I go off on tangents, but while I'm thinking of Julie Andrews, I just want to point out again because so many people continue to be surprised by this. Julie Andrews has a really awesome middle grade novel that came out in 1974 <sighs> called The Last of the Really Great Wang Doodles, which might be kind of a little bit of a Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe ripoff, but it's still really delightful. I haven't read it in many years. I don't know if it would hold up, but basically, like, these kids meet a professor, and he's like, there is a secret world behind this, you know, cabinet, or I don't even remember anymore. But I know. I just want to point that out again, because so many people get excited when they learn that. Uh, but anyway, so back to Tokyo Ever After, which I love. This is another one of those, surprise, you're royalty! novels. I'm super into royalty books lately. I don't know why. But, you know, when people show up and they're like, all this time you've been the Duchess of S'mores. You know, or like, you're a princess of the royal kitten pants dynasty. This is one of those books. So in it, Izumi Tanaka is 18 years old. She is a senior at a high school in California. She has three besties. They call themselves the Asian Girl Gang. They live in a predominantly white community. And she and her friends like started this group they are all of asian descent and they are hilarious like really supportive best friends and they have a great time and izzy as her friends calls her is japanese and she lives with her mother who raised her alone uh all izzy knows about her dad is that her mother told her that when she was a student at harvard there was a visiting student from japan and they spent one night together and she got pregnant and Izzy, her mother doesn't like to talk about it. And Izzy totally respects her mother's decisions and, you know, her wishes. But she also has kind of secretly wondered her whole life, like, who her father is. And she's kind of jealous sometimes of her friends who have, you know, two parents in their household and have, like, big families because it's just her and her mom. So one day, when the book opens, Izzy and Nora are kind of goofing around in her mom's room, playing with her mom's makeup because she has, like, the most fabulous makeup collection. And her friend Nora is really super nosy, and she starts poking around in her mom's stuff, and she finds this book of poetry, and when she opens it, this note falls out. And it's like a love letter from a, a man named Makoto from, like, 2003. And Nora's like, hey, weren't you born around then? And <laughs> suddenly Izzy's like, oh, could this be her dad? And surprise to Izzy, not to us, this is not a surprise, this is the story. Nora continues to search for this person, goes to Harvard's yearbooks, talks to some people, and calls Izzy up and is like, OMG, we have to meet right now. Because it turns out that Izzy's father is the crown prince of Japan. And Izzy has no idea. She had no idea. And she confronts her mother, and her mother's like, yes, it's true, but, you know, and we actually, like, saw each other for a while when he was a student, but I didn't want that life, you know. I just gone to Harvard and I would have had to give that up, like having a career to be, you know, royalty and I would have lived this restricted life as his wife and plus there would be all this scrutiny over every choice I make and everything I wear and I just didn't want that life. So she didn't even tell she didn't even tell Izzy's father that she was pregnant. He just went back to Japan and that was the last that she heard from him and he heard from her. So Izzy reaches out to her father and she is invited to Japan to go and visit him, and she agrees. And Izzy never felt like she quite fit in in America, even though she's Japanese-American. The people around her are mostly white, and there were all kinds of microaggressions and macroaggressions and racism and comments about her heritage and her looks like her whole life growing up. And now she's going to go to Japan, and she's really excited, but 
this is another world where she doesn't feel like she really fits in. It's, you know, different customs and culture and food. And now she's not like really sure where she does belong. And she gets to know her father and her father's family, some of whom are nice and some of whom are not nice. Uh, she learns about his culture. She deals with the press who are just so rabid to get any little bit of information about her because suddenly, like, surprise princess. And she also has a romance with her bodyguard, uh, which is mm. adorable, and he's so great. It's just this really heartwarming, funny story of a young woman looking to feel like she belongs, looking to feel like she is special, being told that she is special, but, you know, learning to believe in herself the way she was and the way that she is now. Uh, you know, I loved Izzy's friends. They were, like, the right amount of smart and funny and also a little too much. And I could totally see my friends, you know, doing the same things, making the same stupid jokes about Reese's Pieces. I just, I love them to bits. Um, and Izzy was a delight, you know, her curiosity and her earnestness and her determination. There were some reviews I was looking at on Goodreads that say that this book takes liberties with the Japanese royal family. Like, things wouldn't work out this way. She wouldn't be accepted because she had been born out of wedlock, things like that. And so I'm okay with the story this way because, you know, this is this is a novel. It's not true. It's fiction. I do want to give content warning for racism mentioned uh, throughout the book actions and, you know, talk. Uh, but it's just an absolute delight. I loved it. I think it's supposed to be a standalone, but I would definitely read more of this. It is Tokyo Ever After by Amiko Jean. So I grew up reading... The Princess Diaries, like starting at age 12, and I read the entire series and I was completely obsessed. And when I heard the pitch for this book, I was like, <gasps> must read. So I'm so excited to hear that you enjoyed it and it's on my TBR. Also, following up with your Julie Andrews comments, because I feel like we've connected over this before, but if not, Julie Andrews' first children's book is called Mandy and it was actually originally published under Julie Edwards although it's now been reissued as under Julie Andrews and it is also a very charming middle grade novel and I remember reading it as a kid and really loving it you know it's funny I have that one and the last of the really great Wang Doodles was also originally published under Julie Andrews because she was or Edwards because she was married to Blake Edwards at the time but I have not read Mandy but I, I do I do need to dig that out and read it also this is related to like we're getting so far away from this now. But um, <laughs> my cat, Malay, she's like an older, you know, sweet lady cat. And she drools a lot. So I call her Julie Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> All right. So my first pick is another YA. And it is Perfectly Parveen by Olivia Atbahi. And it is a debut novel. It is so Hilarious and delightful. I loved it so much. I listened to the audiobook and it was fantastic on audio. So Perfectly Parveen is about a 14-year-old Iranian-American girl. She's biracial. Her mom is white. Her dad is Iranian. And she has just spent the summer at the beach and she's been flirting and having fun with another guy. And she thinks that like, okay, maybe by the end of the summer, like we can like seal the deal, make this like a relationship. And at the end of the summer, he asks her like, will you be my girlfriend? And she's like, oh my gosh, yes, it's everything she's ever wanted. She's starting high school with a boyfriend. She could not be more excited. Until a few days later, they're back home in Washington, D.C., and they're starting high school, and at their high school orientation, he dumps her because, you know, he's white, and he turns out that he rolls with a very conservative, churchy crowd, and he tells her at the time, oh, it's just, you know, you're a little too much for me. Like, you're a little too loud. You're a little too 
just too much. And she's like, what the heck? Because we have spent this entire summer together and you never once thought I was too loud or too much. Um, So we kind of like, you know, reeks with her self-esteem. And her friends are like, look, you didn't need him anyway. But she's really upset because she just wanted to have a boyfriend in high school and she wanted to have a homecoming date. And so when this horrible boy all of a sudden has a new girlfriend, like three days later, she kind of blurts out to him that she's got a homecoming date already. And now she's kind of down to the wire to find a boyfriend or at least a homecoming date that will impress um, her ex. So Parveen is much, very much a prankster. And she she is very like outgoing and gregarious and fun loving. And so she thinks like, if I'm too much, then I have to be more like the rom-com heroine who's a little bit quieter. And her friends and family tell her, like, Parveen, this is not going to go well for you. Because first of all, you can't be quiet for five minutes. But like, second of all, you shouldn't have to change who you are in order to get a date. And she's like, no, no, it's going to be fine. It's just temporary until I can get my homecoming date locked in. And so she sets her sights on a boy in band that she really likes. And she rolls out this plan with, you know, varying results. At the same time that all of this is going on, she's also, you know, going to Farsi school uh, because her parents require that she do it on the weekends. And she has just been moved up a level in Farsi school. And she's really anxious about this because she's not very good at Farsi. And the only highlight is that she gets a study buddy and he's really nice and he goes to her high school and he's really good at Farsi and he helps her out a lot and they become friends. Also kind of running along with all this, you know, plot and subplot drama is the fact that her aunt lives in um, Tehran and she's a student and she's hoping to get a visa to come visit them in the United States. But getting a visa is difficult. So, you know, politics and politician names aren't mentioned, but it's very clear from reading this book that it is set during the Trump administration. And so the travel ban that Trump has enacted has a pretty big impact on her family life. So this is just like overall, I would say it is a very upbeat, funny lighter hearted um, book with then it kind of has like this undercurrent of like very serious issues of like what it means to you know belong to embrace your identity to figure out who you are and be confident with who you are and have that you know just be reflected in your relationships as well so I really loved Parveen's two friends. Um, She has two really hilarious and wonderful friends named Fabian and Ruth and they are really just great together and very entertaining. There's a lot of really great banter. I do love some great banter in YA. I also love the fact that like there's not a lot of YA these days being published that's like 14 year olds and like starting high school. Like that was more popular, I think, when I was a teen, Um, like, you know, 10, 15 plus years ago. So it's nice to see like another like little resurgence of like younger YA books because I think that those are absolutely necessary and needed. And, you know, a 14 year old starting high school YA story is just as valid as like an 18 year old figuring out, you know, life after high school. We need that range. So I loved Perfectly Parveen by Olivia Abahi. Yay, two delightful YA books right there to kick it off. Now I'm going to bring us all down. (laughs) But this is such a good book. 
It's Light Perpetual by Frances Spufford. It is historical fiction for people who enjoyed Life After Life by Kate Atkinson or really intense, involved, sort of sad fiction, maybe like A Little Life, or you like the Sliding Doors story, which is that Gwyneth Paltrow movie where like something happens and you get to see like how her life would go in two different directions at the same time, which is a great movie. I love that movie. But this one, it starts with war. So uh, there are going to be terrible descriptions mentioned, terrible events mentioned in my description, I should say, just because I have to give you the basic premise of what happens. Uh, When the book opens, it is a Saturday in 1944. A bunch of people are gathered at the Woolworths in southeast London because a delivery of saucepans is coming in and people have not seen saucepans in many years. All the metal that they have has been used for the war. And so a new shipment of saucepans is a reason for a bunch of people to gather and be excited, uh, except a German bomb hits the building and obliterates the building and kills everyone in it and around it, including five young children, Vernon, Alec, Ben, and sisters Joe and Valerie, which is just horrific, just terrible. And that's like a couple of pages at the front. And then the narrator invites us to imagine that that didn't happen. Here's a sliding door story with a different future for these five children. And as they grow, we get glimpses of the changing world around them and what their lives might have been like in this one instance. We meet them when they're all together in primary school. And then we hear about them in sort of like, I think it's like 12 or 15 year intervals up through 2009. And they are alive, and they grow up, and they fall in love. They have careers. They have families. They have hardships. They have heartbreaks. Uh, Vern is kind of a bully, and he has a secret love of music and opera, and he grows up to be a businessman. Joe becomes a music teacher. There's a really beautiful snippet with her where she's teaching her students. Um, she ends up dating an American rock star. Val, you know, has a hard time, and she winds up dating a violent skinhead, and a lot of bad things happen in her life. Ben is a bus conductor. He has schizophrenia, um, and he also becomes dependent on drugs. It's not a, oh, what great people they would have been, you know, kind of story. Like, they're not all going to be, like, heroic angels because they, you know, were saved. But, you know, oh, how human they would have been. How they would have been like any one of us. You know, they make bad choices. They experience loss and heartache. But this is just one iteration of what their life could have been like if they were given a chance. You know, here's one of an infinite number of ways their lives could have gone. You know, told through the writing, we see, you know, the glory in that every day, you know, even like the hard, devastating parts. Like the writing in this book is spectacular. I did find it to be slightly disjointed on occasion, probably because if you're trying to tell the story of just like one person's whole life in a book you know that's a lot sometimes you know if you want to make it moving and believable and now you know uh it's five lives you know told in snapshots of five people at different stages um so i did find it a little bit disjointed but like not in a way that deterred me from loving this book much like the way tokyo ever after is about someone they call her in the description ordinary which bothers me because like you know, I know it sounds funny to say, like, everyone is special, but, like, everyone is special in their own way. Everyone has something, you know, but, like, much in the way that Tokyo Ever After is about someone who is special, Light Perpetual is about people who would be called ordinary um, and whose lives are important to a few, but actually how every life is important to the whole, to, like, the world, to the future. Like, everyone does something. Everyone has something. Everyone contributes something, makes a difference in some way. And... 
I'm really excited to go back and read Spufford's first novel because I had not heard of this author. And so I'm looking for, I think it's called Golden Hill. Golden something, I can't remember anymore. But I do want to give a lot of content warnings for this book. There are mentions of chemical use and abuse, disordered eating and related illnesses, sexual assault, mental illness, racism and racialized violence, murder, war violence, and related deaths. Uh, it is a gorgeous novel. It is called Light Perpetual, and it is by Francis Spufford. Mm. That premise reminds me of a book I really loved, um, My Real Children by Joe Walton. I sobbed while reading that book. Ooh, Joe Walton, always good. Yeah, she's great. So, all right, my next pick is Some Girls Do by Jennifer Dugan. And Jennifer Dugan, uh, this is her third YA book. She wrote Hot Dog Girl and Verona Comics, which I know are much beloved um, among book rioters, but I have not read them. So this is my first book by her, and it was great. It is about Morgan, who is like this really talented track star. She went to a Catholic high school all throughout her high school journey, and she gained enough attention that she's gotten offers from colleges to go like run division one running track. I'm not a sports person, you can probably tell. But that's really exciting for her. But in her last half of her senior year, she came out. And as a result, her Catholic high school was like, "Mm, no, you violate like all of our conduct codes. And they were really, really horribly homophobic to her. And she um, basically had to leave school. But because of high school sports and college offers and you know all of that sort of legal stuff like she kind of needs a waiver to allow her to go compete at a different school and also her college acceptance is in jeopardy and so her parents are in the middle of a lawsuit against her catholic school um so that's all in like the backstory before the book even starts where the book starts is she's starting a new school she's living you know an hour and a half away from her hometown with her older brother and you know she's really nervous about starting a new school but she's also happy to be starting a new school as like an out person and she has kind of a rough first day where she runs into Ruby and Ruby's kind of like a girl from the wrong side of the tracks um you know to use a stereotype and she um is not really well liked in school people kind of think that you know she sleeps around and they really judge her for it and they judge her for things that aren't true um she's also a like a I don't know, like a former beauty queen who still competes in a lot of pageants because her mother is insistent, like, this is what you do. You compete in pageants. But really, her true passion is fixing up cars. And so Ruby, you know, accidentally sort of has like all these run-ins with Morgan and is really kind of angry about it. But at the same time, the two have like this really great chemistry and this really great attraction. And that becomes complicated because Ruby, for her, it's not safe being out. Her, her mom would not allow it or, or really accept it. And Morgan is feeling all this attraction to Ruby, but like she is not willing to go back into a closet or sneak around because um, it didn't go well for her at her last school. And she's just, you know, wants people to accept her for who she is. So I know that people are always like, oh, we need to move beyond like coming out narratives in YA. But like, I also know a lot of people like this is still your reality. And this is just like, I think, a really great contemporary 
nuanced look at like a complicated situation and it does feel more like modern than like you know the coming out YA novels that we saw like you know five eight years ago but it's still about you know navigating like how do you have a relationship with somebody um, in high school when it's not safe for them to be out Um, lots of great considerations there content warning for you know some homophobia and some like emotional child abuse Um, nothing that's you know very dark but that is present in this book so that is some girls do by jennifer dugan i myself i'm a huge fan of hot dog girl so i did <laughs> somehow i missed the second book and now i can't believe there's already a third one not like it's not a series but like yeah very prolific that's wild yeah she's pushing them out <laughs> yeah it's crazy so my next pick is another delightful choice. It is a delicious romantic comedy, pun intended, because it is about a cooking competition. It is Rosaline Palmer Takes the Cake, which is the first in a new series by Alexis Hall called the Winner Bakes All series, which I love puns. I, I love food puns. I like to think like I have my dream job, but really, if I could add something to my dream job, I would come up with puns for cozy mysteries and romance novels and also name nail polish colors. Like, those are my dream jobs. (laughs) That's what I really want to do. Uh, But this is a fabulous romantic comedy. Alexis Hall is the author of Boyfriend Material, which I think came out last year, which is just an absolutely hilarious delight. And in this book, Rosalind Palmer is in her late 20s. She is a fantastic baker, but she's raising a daughter on her own. Her Her fabulous baking skills have not been able to bring her the money that she needs to maintain her home or give her daughter everything that she wants. She dropped out of college to raise her daughter, Amelie, and she doesn't regret it, but when we meet Rosaline, life is sort of teetering on the brink of financial ruin. Her house is falling apart and she needs money. And she gets to be a contestant on a huge baking competition. And this is going to be great because she's going to get money and she'll maybe get book deals and like, It's going to be awesome. But as she's competing on the show, which she is dominating, she also finds herself in the middle of a love triangle. She wasn't expecting one romance, let alone two, and now she finds herself falling for Harry, the handsome electrician, and Alan, the suave architect. And as she begins to worry who she will choose, you know, it's kind of like clouding her mind while she's trying to compete and win this competition. Can Rosaline concentrate and keep her eyes on the cash prize? And I just, I love baking competition books. There seem to be so many, both adults and uh, YA recently, going on a food show, like fake dating on a food show. Um, There's one coming in December, no, maybe October, but it's like a Christmas-themed romance that I read that was called The Holiday Swap, which is about twins who are both bakers, and they switch. One goes to be on a cooking show, and one goes to run the other one's bakery. Loved it. Rosaline is a great character. She's a dedicated mom, and she wants the best for her daughter. Uh, Her love interests are men in this book, but she is bisexual, uh, which is an important part of her character. Her best friend is Lauren, who is also her ex-girlfriend. They have a very close but, you know, complicated relationship sometimes. Uh, I do want to give content warnings for homophobia and toxic family relationships, but if you love fun romance and food, this is Rosalind Palmer Takes the Cake by Alexis Hall. And now we are going to hear from our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. 
Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Inez Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Inez Hegler brings us her first work of fiction, titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, Tirza, what do you have for us next? All right, so my next pick is The Marvelous Mirza Girls by Sheba Kareem. And oh my gosh, I love this book so much. It's interesting because it's getting pitched as like Gilmore Girls, meets Darius the Great is not okay. And I definitely see like the comparisons like that. Those are pretty good comps. But I think I went into this expecting it to be like the lighthearted, like fast banter of Gilmore Girls. But it actually starts in kind of like a a down place. So it stars Noreen, who is graduating from high school, but she's not thrilled about it because she's still grieving the death of her beloved aunt who died about a year earlier from cancer. And she's just like not excited about high school ending, not excited about starting college, and she's really struggling. Um, at about the same time, her mom, Ruby, um, gets the chance to work in India for just like a short period of time, about six months with her job. And she is like initially going to turn it down because she's like, no, I need to be in the U.S. with Noreen, even though she's going off to college. Like, I, I, I shouldn't go so far away. And Noreen says, like, well, actually, what if instead of, you know, that I defer college for a year and we both go to India together? Um, going and visiting Delhi was something that um, her aunt really wanted to do before she passed away uh, because they're 
ancestors came from that city and she never got to see it. So she figures, you know, I'm going to go with my mom and do this thing that my aunt was never able to do. And so she does. She defers college for a year. They head there in the fall. And it is, you know, very different from what she's expecting, even though she you know, speaks the language and she she knows a lot about the culture. She's still, you know, American. And she meets a boy named Kabir who decides to kind of um, just show her around and be her tour guide. And from like the very first outing that they have together, like they have a very intense sort of emotional connection where she's vulnerable about her grief and her loss and how she's struggling. And he is like very, very cool with it and very supportive and helpful. And so they are touring all of these beautiful places and she's learning a lot and really seeing um, the city and then also sort of falling for Kabir and he seems to be falling for her as well. But then, of course, some family scandal comes out and they have to confront this and there's no no ducking away or hiding from it. Uh, so there are so many things I really loved about this book. Like, first of all, it's a really, really beautiful and just emotionally deep and sensitive story about grief. I mean, it's it's intense in that way that like... I just want to make that clear up front because I know sometimes people all grieve differently if that is not what you can handle right now, just FYI. But also the descriptions of all of the places that they visit in Delhi. I mean, I've it's a place that I've never been. And, you know, obviously after reading this, I would love to see some of these places. I'm not sure how likely it is that I will, you know, be ever be able to ever get there at some point, but um, I thought that the author did such an amazing job of just describing things. Like there were so many times, like I would go to the chapter where they would go to this monument and that ruin, and I would Google it because the descriptions were beautiful. But then, like they made me actually want to see them, so that was really exciting. That also has like just this great mother daughter relationship. Um, that's kind of where the Gilmore Girls comp comes in. Um, Ruby had Noreen when she was young, but not like a teenager. And Noreen's father has never really been in the picture. So it, they're very much, they're closer than probably like your average mother and daughter. And they've just got like this really great rapport. So I loved the family aspect. I loved the sort of travel and exploration aspect. I liked the, like first kind of serious, like emotionally serious relationship. It was really great. The Marvelous Mirza Girls by Sheba Kareem. Okay, my last pick is completely banana pants. It's <laughs> unlike anything else that I have read and that you have probably read. And it comes from the wonderful mind of Daryl Gregory. It is called The Album of Dr. Moreau. And like I said, it's by Daryl Gregory. It's a novella. And it's a small one, so I can't tell you too much about it, just that it's so banana pants. And if the name Dr. Moreau sounds familiar, it is because it is a sequel of sorts to The Island of Dr. Moreau, which is a uh, 1896 novel by H.G. Wells, which I have not read. I have not read The Princess Diaries, and I have not read The Island of Dr. Moreau. I'm sure they probably complement each other, you know, wonderfully. Maybe I should read them back to back. I don't know. But if you haven't read Dr. Moreau, it's about a shipwrecked man who is rescued and brought to the island home of this mad scientist, Dr. Moreau, who creates human-animal hybrids. This is all I got from the top of the Wikipedia page and also watching the really bad movie um, with Marlon Brando. Yes, Marlon Brando. Uh, Anyway, so this is... 
I've been calling it an adult episode of Zoobly Zoo, which many of you will have to Google, but it was this kid's show with Ben Vereen where he and a bunch of other grown-ups dressed up as different animals and, like, had their faces painted and they danced around and sang songs and they were human animals. And so this is, like, an adult version of that. It's set in the future. Uh, obviously, we have human-animal hybrids, uh, so it doesn't take place exactly after Island Doctor. It's basically just, like, loosely related. But there is a world-famous boy band called Wild Boys, uh, which is W-Y-L-D-B-O-Y-Z. And they are on tour. They're a huge band, huge, like world-famous. And all the members of this band are human-animal hybrids. And they are on tour, and they're having this huge party in their Las Vegas hotel. And then the next morning, their tyrannical producer, Dr. M, is found murdered in his room. Now, the room is locked from the inside, so it's a locked room mystery, and there are so many suspects. There are the five band members, including Bobby the Ocelot. An ocelot is a medium-sized wild cat, so those, like, spotted ones with the big eyes. He's referred to as the cute one. Each of the band members have names, like, the boy, like boy bands. He's also, like, no spoilers, but he's also found in the room, passed out, but they're not entirely certain that he was the one responsible for it. There's Matt, the Megabat. He's the funny one. There's Tim, the pangolin, the shy one. Pangolins are like anteaters with scales. They're like anteaters with, crossed with armadillos. Uh, Devin is a bonobo, which is a kind of chimpanzee. He's the romantic one. And then there's Tusk, the elephant, who is the smart one. On top of these five band members, there's also Dr. M's wife, who had spent that night with one of the band members, as well as their very protective roadie. Now, Las Vegas detective Lucy Delgado, whose daughter is a huge, huge fan of this band, has 24 hours to solve the case, and her investigation takes her into the band's past. This is just great fun. It's so ridiculous, yet he does it so well that I never found myself questioning what animal-human hybrids could or couldn't do. The band members are suspects because some of them, you know, the, it was a locked room mystery, but, like, the bat can fly, so could he have flown up to the window? Uh, the monkey can climb. Could he have climbed up to this window? Like, everybody's a suspect. And it's just kind of ridiculous and awesome. I am a big fan of Daryl Gregory. That's basically a way I would describe a lot of his books, like ridiculous and awesome, but also incredibly smart. Um, he wrote Spoonbenders, which came out a few years ago, which if you're looking for a great Kevin Wilson read-alike, I would read that one. We Are All, All Completely Fine, which is about a support group for people who have survived supernatural horrors, which is another book that I love. Um, he has a novel coming in the fall called Revelator, and I just adored this. I do want to give content warnings for uh, violence, chemical use, infidelity, murder, and gore. It is called The Album of Dr. Moreau by Daryl Gregory, and it is banana pants. <laughs> that sounds bonkers. All right. So my final pick is one I'm just going to admit to you all up front. I have not finished it, but I am so enamored with this book. It's called Ophie's Ghost by Justina Ireland. Um, Justina Ireland has written um, Dread Nation and... This is a new historical with a supernatural twist, but it's a middle grade novel. And this came on my radar because Jamie, who writes our mystery newsletter, told me that it was one of the best books that she has read recently. And I mean, I have to say, hard same. Um, so Ovi's Ghost is uh, set in 1922, and it starts out in the South. And... 
Ophi is woken one night by her dad and her dad is saying, hey, I need you to get up. You have to go into the living room and get the coffee can that's underneath the floorboards and then go wake your mother and then you have to go hide. And she's really confused. She's like, why are, why are we waking up? Why why can't you get the coffee can? Like, why are we hiding? And he's like, just just do what I tell you to. And so she does. She wakes up and, and she grabs the coffee can and her mom is really confused. And as they, you know, go outside to go hide, they hear a car coming down the road. And they hide in the woods just in time to see a group of white men burn their house down. And when they wake up the next morning, their house is gone. They have only, you know, the pajamas on their back and this coffee can. And they find out that tragically um, those men killed Ophi's father the night before. So she realizes in that instance that her father waking her up and telling her to hide, he was a ghost. And she can see ghosts at this point. And so she and her mom head up north to stay with family in Pittsburgh because it's no longer safe for them to live there. And along the way on the train, she sees all of these ghosts. And they're all, you know, just people from so many different walks of life. Some of them have been wronged. Some of them are not so nice. And she can interact with some of them. And it's really bizarre because she, you know, tries to tell her mom and her mom says, I don't want to hear any more of this talk about ghosts. Like, it's not real. And so when she's in Pittsburgh, she has to go to work. It's 1922 and, you know, the family doesn't have any money that this is a necessity. And so she gets a job at this manor house that is also full of ghosts. And she starts thinking, like, maybe I can help some of these ghosts. But also, you know, some of them might kind of get her into trouble. So I you know, started reading this a couple days ago and was immediately sucked in. And then I got distracted. And now I have the audiobook and the audiobook is narrated by Bonnie Turpin, who's one of my favorite audiobook narrators. So I'm really torn. I don't know if I want to go back to reading it, you know, as an ebook, or if I want to start listening to the audiobook from the beginning, because I really enjoy um, her narration. And, you know, in the author's note that Justina Ireland wrote for the arc, she wrote that she wanted to um, write a story about people who, you know, not only survive, but like learn how to thrive um, in the face of, you know, horrible, horrible racial injustice in the U.S. And so that is this book. It is Ophie's Ghost by Justina Ireland. Justina Ireland, former book writer. Yes, that's right. She was before my time, but I, for, I thank you for reminding me. That's so cool. So many, so many amazing, talented people at Book Riot. I'm constantly in awe. I think there's like five contributors who have books coming out and like five more that have already published books in the last couple of years and just constantly amazed. It's just amazing. I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. I just, I cannot believe it every time. I'm like, <laughs> wow. Real books, because to me, still, like, people who write books are like Santa Claus. <laughs> like, wow, they make magic happen. So exciting. Including you. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's fun. It's really cool to be a part of a bookish community that is, you know, authors and readers and people who just are so supportive and love books. I love it. Yeah. And it's we're coming up on our 10-year anniversary, too. I know. First of all, we're coming up on our six-year. I was like, it's our five-year 
all the book's anniversary coming up, but actually that was last year and <laughs> what was last year, right? I've completely missed it. So yeah, uh, the 15th of May is our six-year anniversary since we launched the show, which is just incredible to me. That is. And it keeps going and it keeps growing and we thank you all for listening. Uh, and then Book Riot, 10 years in October, which is also just amazing. So Wow. Yay, books! So those are our new books. What are you going to read next? I am so excited to dive into People We Be on Vacation by Emily Henry, which came out last week, and I finally got a copy. I loved Beach Read, and I love Beach Read in part because, you know, it's set in uh, like a lakeshore, Lake Michigan, lakeside town. I'm from Michigan. I know Lake Michigan really well. So I'm just really excited to read her next book. So yeah, that's what I'm going to read next. I really enjoyed it. I talked about it on the show last week. I've not read Beach Read yet, but I, I do keep meaning to go back and check it out. Um, I have had several false starts. This happens to me sometimes. I get so excited to read a book that I need complete concentration and nothing else going on in order to read it. So I have picked up and set down Fuzz, When Nature Breaks the Law by Mary Roach several times because... I'm like, I need nothing else going on in my life so I can just sit down and read this. Because Mary Roach, she's awesome. This one is about, like, what happens when a bear, you know, breaks into a cabin or an animal bites somebody or or other things. Like, sometimes nature, like trees that fall and what happens, like, to them. Sort of like the, the nature police, I guess they call it. But, which is very interesting and I hope not too traumatic <laughs> to read about. Man, I try not to, like, watch things where animals die, but I understand that these things happen and they're also depicted. And so the other day, I had the bright idea of watching The Leftovers because I've always wanted to see it. So I was like, let's watch this first episode of The Leftovers, in which there are not one, but four traumatic graphic animal deaths. I was like, I'm done. (laughs) So whenever there's animals involved, I always have to, like, tread lightly, but... Mary Roach is so great, and I'm hoping this is just ridiculously funny and lots of fun. I'm sure it will be. That is it, though. That's it for us today. Yeah. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online, Tears of Hangs Out, on Twitter at Tears of Price. I hang out mostly on Instagram at Franzen Comes Alive, where you will not find the picture of my snake, so don't worry. <laughs> you can also go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. Thank you, thank you to all of you who went and added reviews and talked about books that you heard about on the show and loved. We love hearing it. We love doing it. It keeps us going. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy Happy reading. reading!